Today we're going to be uh, back in First uh, Peter, which is a book of the Bible we've been working through. And today is kind of, uh, I suppose, quite a tricky passage uh, on first reading, particularly around marriage and gender. So if you brought a friend along today, you're probably thinking, oh gosh, they've just talked about giving, and now we're going to be covering something controversial as well. What was I thinking? Well, bear with us, because I think this, what we're about to share is really good news. I, I really believe that. I really believe that what we're going to share is good news. I believe that as we go through this, we want to show you that, uh, that we don't want to shy away from bits of the Bible that might cause us to be uncomfortable. We, we believe this is all God-breathed. We believe this is all uh, for our strengthening. So uh, as we tuck into these uh, truths today, I believe God's going to show us things and help us. And, uh, and Sarah, my wife, is going to come up and join me in, in a little while. So 1 Peter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 12. Let's go for it. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. I told you it was controversial, hey? So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear." Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Maybe you can understand why I say it's a tricky passage when you read some of those phrases. Now, just to give a little bit of context, Peter has been writing to these churches that are in modern-day Turkey, churches that he has a relationship with, and these are new Christians, many of them, and they're struggling to know how to live in a world that doesn't believe what they believe, that doesn't have the values that they have, and I guess there's, as we shared last week, there's some options ahead of them. They could retreat from the world, go and live in a commune somewhere, away from it all, They could try and be like the world around them, pay homage to the gods of their culture and kind of the values of the culture. Or, as Peter lays out for them, they could shine. They could look very different. And in doing so, many people will come and see, wow, there's something different about you. What is it? And there's an opportunity to share Jesus. So Peter's writing to this Uh, these churches. And it's apparent that in these churches, there are some women who have converted to Christianity, but their husbands have not. Now, you, you need to understand that in those days, 
it would be normal when a, a, when a man and a woman got married, the woman would simply take her husband's gods or idols as her own. And she wouldn't have friendships in her own right. She would kind of come into the husband's life. This was the norm in the Roman Empire. And uh, that he, she would basically just adopt his life. And so for a woman to convert to Christianity, but her husband not, could have potentially induced a bit of a crisis. It would have been very chaotic and very difficult for her husband to deal with because he'd be thinking, well, if I divorce my wife, there might be shame upon me and my family and that might therefore uh, impact my business because businesses were intertwined with the fabric of the community. And for a wife, it would have been very difficult as well because to uh, divorce from her husband would mean that her income was just no longer there because they were more often than not very dependent upon uh, their husband for their income and uh, food and so on. So it's a very tricky situation that some of these ladies find themselves in. And Peter, uh, he says to them that actually the way in which to um, win over their husbands is not through their ears by nagging them, but actually through their eyes, but not in the way that you might think. Actually by uh, consistently displaying a life of devotion to Jesus by consistently displaying that they uh, first and foremost love God. This is what Peter is getting at here. So this is the kind of first little part. But then he directs his teaching to husbands and wives in the church. So if you're married here and you're part of the church, then you need to listen up to what is being said. He's laying some principles for them for healthy marriage. And marriages that ultimately point people to Jesus. We have to understand that in the 21st century in Britain, the way in which we live our home lives can point people to God. They can look different and actually cause people to think, what is different about you? What is it that is driving you? What are the values underneath your life? So the first thing that Peter shows them is that there is a God-given, God-ordained order within marriage. And we're to rejoice in that and not be embarrassed by it or somehow pretend it's not there, because it's there. And this order is where the husband plays a role of head in the marriage. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. This is alluded to here, because it says here, wives submit to your own husbands, but it's more explicitly unpacked by the Apostle Paul in his writings, particularly in 1 Corinthians 11 and in Ephesians chapter 5. It's more explicit there. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this, that the head of every husband is Christ and the head of every wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. What does, what does this mean? What is this getting at? Well, the first thing that we can say is that we know from the Bible, we know very clearly from the scriptures that Jesus is co-eternal, co-equal with God the Father. So it's not the case that uh, God, the Father being the head of Jesus, means that he's more important uh, or somehow uh, that Jesus' uh, value is diminished. Okay, that's, that's clear. But there is some order. Jesus is not inferior to God, but he did willingly submit to his Father in coming to earth. And so there is in marriage an ordained order, a headship deal, which ultimately, you need to hear this, ultimately should lead to flourishing. If it's not leading to flourishing, then you've misunderstood some things. There's some kind of wrong thinking about what this really means. When it's played out well, 
And this order that God has ordained doesn't mean that all women should submit to all men. It's not a man-woman deal, but actually a husband and wife deal. This is what the Bible is teaching. And we should see uh, how this plays out a little bit later when we get to verse 7, where it talks about husbands being considerate with their wives, treating them with respect. You need to understand, this was hugely countercultural back then. Okay, for husbands to... Uh, to consider their wives as uh, equal partners and equal heirs of the gift of God, which is what we've just read. This was hugely countercultural in the Roman Empire. So when we take this teaching with, uh, with, from Peter, and we take it with the biggest story of Scripture, when we take it alongside what Paul is teaching in places like Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 11, we see that headship speaks about a husband bearing the weight of accountability before God to cultivate a marriage and a household that is glorifying to God. I'll say that one more time. Headship talks about a husband having ultimate uh, weight of accountability before God to cultivate a marriage and a household that is glorifying to God. So it's not about being a bully. It's not about bossing around, but actually cultivating something that glorifies God. So husbands, in the words of Paul, we're to cherish our wives. We're to love our wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I want to say this, no wife complains about following her husband's leadership when he's loving her like Jesus loves the church. There's just, it's just not the case. So we want to endeavour to show Jesus in our marriage. And if we're not demonstrating this kind of understanding love, if we're not treating our wife with respect, then we won't demonstrate Jesus to those around, and our wife will find it very hard to follow our lead. So we're going to have a few more things to say about this in a minute as we further unpack Peter's words to husbands. But before we do any more, I'm going to invite Sarah to come and share. It's my lovely wife, Sarah. We've been married for 14 years. Let's give her a big welcome. Hello. Sarah, can you unpack for us a little bit of what this looks like in practice? Do you call me Lord at home? Um, yeah, so I call Tom lots of things. Um, <laughs> Lord is not Only one of honey. them. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, Tom's unpacked a little bit um, of what this means. Um, I'm just going to look at it in a more practical sense. Um, so even in a Christian context, the word submission can be seen as a bit of a, a hard word, can be seen as a bit of a dirty word, something mm. we don't really want to um, take in, um, something that was good for them back then, but for us... We'll just gloss over that one. Um, but yeah, firstly, just want to ask, like, do we trust God's design for us? Do we trust that his design is good? Mm. Or do we rally against it and think, oh, we you know, made a mistake on that one? Um, so I just want to attempt to communicate um, that, yeah, it does lead to a happy, thriving marriage, and it can be easy. Um, so the picture Paul is, um, Peter is painting here. Also, Paul mentions in Ephesians 5, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Um, So how did Christ love the church? Firstly, he humbled himself to serve. He sacrificed himself for the church, his bride, so that she may be spotless and pure. He redeemed her 
and called her out into new life. So marriage, this is a picture of Christ and the church is not going to be perfect. Um, and for husbands, the, the bar is set pretty high. Um, when women are living with a godly husband who serves and takes initiative and wants the best, it is. It's easy for, for wives to get on board with that. Um, so yeah, we are co-heirs, equal dignity, so work as a team. Husbands are not to be controlling or domineering. Um, that's not reflective of the picture that Peter paints here, um, but are to set the tone. So to be men who say let's a lot, so let's gather together with believers, let's um, encourage the kids to read their Bibles, let's do that with them. Mm. Or, you know, let's make sure we have time together, just us, let's serve at this. So husbands who say let's a lot, to, mm. to set that tone. So it doesn't look like the husband doing everything, <laughs> um, but it may be um, that the wife is more capable in different areas, um, perhaps finances or family admin, and a godly husband sees the gifting of his wife and says, you know what, I'm not so great at this, um, how about you, you do that? And that's, really, that's working together as a team and using each other's strengths and covering each other's weaknesses. So as co-heirs, so Tom and I make decisions together, um, we discuss and we debate. Um, if it gets to the point where there's a stalemate, and um, after much discussion, um, <laughs> I might say, you know what, you take the lead with this one. Mm. And you know what, nine times out of the ten, he goes, my idea. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that can be what it looks like. Yeah, that's really good. That's really helpful. And what about adornment? Are you wearing gold earrings today? Yeah. <laughs> what, tell, what do these verses mean? What, uh, unpack these a little bit for us. What is Peter saying and not saying here? Okay, so let's just um, remind ourselves what it says. So in verse 3, if you've got your Bibles, um, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Okay, tricky one. Okay, so in this passage, we as women can wrestle with this one. And probably have felt a little bit cross at Peter for mentioning it. Um, because at first reading, it does seem kind of condescending and patronizing. Like a, like a friend comforting you when you're having a, a self-esteem crisis. Going, oh, there, there, you're beautiful on the inside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we want this um, to be seen as something so glorious and so edifying. And it's really, really beautiful. Um, as women, we are daily bombarded with pressures to look a certain way, surrounded by adverts and billboards of these amazing airbrush models, and just, you know, to look forever young. And it's really exhausting. Um, <laughs> the beauty industry is a billion-dollar-pound industry. So men, they do have similar struggles, but not quite to the same extent. So in our house... Tom can have a bottle of shower gel that says, hair, face, and body wash. Um, <laughs> whereas I can go to a shop and I can buy cream to moisturize your left elbow. And, you know, it's just not the same. Um, so it's exhausting. Um, the women Peter is speaking to would have felt the same pressures um, to feel captivating and admired for their beauty. Um, we were talking about this in the week, and Tom mentioned that some women 
back then would have imported blonde wigs from Germany um, just for, to, that was the beauty trend back then. And you think, well, do you know what? Things haven't changed all that much. Um, Peter is reminding us, as he has in previous chapters, that as believers, this is not to be like that for you. Um, so instead of feeling hard done by, for me, just brings a great sigh of relief. Um, Peter says that our beauty is to be of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I'm just going to touch on something that often gets misunderstood or sadly uses a way to control or silence women. Um, When he says a quiet spirit, um, that does not mean that if you're an extrovert who loves chatting um, and enjoys the company of others, that you have to be quiet and not speak. (laughs) That is not what it's saying. Um, Maybe read it as tranquil or inner peace, a calm of heart that trusts in God without fear. Um, As it says, you know, going to look on later, be able to face things that are frightening Mm. without fear. Mm. So read it as that. Don't think, I'm not allowed to be chatty, (laughs) because that is a good thing. Okay. So um, to help maybe illustrate the importance of the beauty of the inner self, um, I just want you to imagine... I'll use this one. Okay. Within this width of paper, I want you to think about your life. So all the jobs you've had, all the places you've been, um, all the wacky hairstyles you might have had, um, all the people you've loved, the griefs, the joys, everything in this bit of paper. And then I want you to think of the space in the rest of the room. This is your life, and this is eternity with Jesus. And I just wanted you to try and visualize this, that Peter's saying... Where he's shifting our focus from what is here, mm. what is our life, what is fading and, and finite, taking us what is eternal. And this is what we're building our lives for. Mm. Um, so in the passage, he mentions the inner self. As in translations, he says inner person. He's reminding women of their personhood. God who made them, it's, it's, that's their true beauty. And he sees you. And he sees this. He sees what, what you are building for. We don't have to be stuck and think, oh, okay, this is, this is all there is. No. His kingdom is so much vaster and so much more glorious and so much more beautiful. So he, we, um, he points to um, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, as someone who trusted God with a roller coaster of her life. And, um, yeah, we're encouraged to, I think, in our um, day and age, certainly my age and younger, to look at social media and influencers and um, sort of people on films or um, pop stars, and you think, oh, okay, that's my aim. But no, he says, no, look at Sarah. Look at her, how she trusted God. Um, and it also mentions quite an interesting one, we're joking about later, how she calls him Lord. Um, you don't have to do that. But, <laughs> um, but it, it does, it's a, it's a respectful term. So it's talking about, you know, respect your husbands, both privately and publicly. Speak well of them. Um, I'm privileged to know here 
and in other places I've lived, many, many wonderful older women of faith who I know are getting more and more beautiful with every year that they spend dwelling with God. And they are more beautiful now, ladies, you're more beautiful now than you have ever been. Because you are, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is in the spirit, ever-increasing glory. So ladies, I admire you. I want to learn from your wisdom and hear your stories of how you've trusted God through the good times, the difficult times, and you have adorned your inner self. And that is just something so spectacular. So how wonderful is this, that we do not have to be bogged down by these impossible beauty standards that we cannot reach. But through Jesus, we can know the unfading beauty, which is of great worth in God's sight. So as Tom said, this is good news for us that brings freedom and joy. This does not mean that we cannot dress in a way that we find pleasing. That is okay, but our focus is on his kingdom and on his glory and beautifying what he has given us and done for us. And we are becoming more beautiful every day. Rather than the downwards trajectory, we are going more beautiful towards, towards him and his glory. Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Wonderful. That was just great to have that fleshed out some more there. Let's, um, let's kind of, as we land, let's finish again with, with Peter's words to husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In your version of the Bible, if you're reading from the ESV, it might say, live with your wife in an understanding way. It's a very countercultural thing back then, hugely countercultural. In an age where husbands ruled the roost and would often use their physical dominance to beat their wife. That was, that was just common. That was commonplace in the Roman Empire and in many times since then. It's pretty radical to say, live in an understanding way. And I want to ask you husbands here, do you take time to understand your wife? Do you take time to listen and not always try and fix? That's something that I am on a learning curve with because sometimes you want to hear the issue and think, right, I'm going to fix this now. But actually sometimes just listening and understanding what's going on in the heart and in the head is a really, really important thing. And Peter says, treat them with respect. This is massively countercultural back then. She's a co-equal heir who will inherit the kingdom of God. As I said, back then it was the case that women were dominated and mistreated. And he's saying here, husbands, don't misuse your strength. Don't misuse your strength. You could misuse your strength, but don't do that. Not so with you, Peter's saying. It is generally the case that the average man is stronger than the average woman. I'm not a very strong man, and there probably are some women in this room that are stronger than me, but I will be stronger than most women here. 
And husbands will generally be stronger than their wives. And Peter's saying, don't misuse your strength. Don't use your strength to dominate and abuse. Most men here don't walk down an apparently peaceful street just a little bit aware of their surroundings. Most women here do. Men, you need to understand that. Most women here, even in, a, in daytime on an apparently peaceful street, will be very aware of their surroundings. Most women here understand the necessity of single spaces, single sex spaces, the place where they can feel safe. You've got to understand this. You could dominate your wife with your physical strength, but Peter's saying, do not go there. This is not displaying Jesus in your marriage. He, the strongest of all, did not come to be served, but to serve. He, the strongest of all, did not come and dominate. He came and he laid down his life. And Peter gives an unusual motivation for this kind of understanding and respectful love. Do this so that your prayers won't be hindered. What an unusual phrase. Have you come across that before, guys? Do this so that your prayers won't be hindered. Now, we're a grace people. We love to preach the grace of God. We love to rejoice in the fact that it's not God's favour upon our lives is not anything to do with what we accomplish. The salvation that we enjoy is not anything to do with what we add to the equation, but solely through faith in Jesus. We're a grace people. We celebrate the truth of God's grace. That through Jesus, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. That is what we celebrate. However, Peter is saying here, you can't just treat your wife and bully her and dominate her and expect God to be okay with that. You can't expect God to just act like all is okay. And he finishes this passage with, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you do evil to your wife, don't expect to have your prayers answered. It's really clear here. Don't expect the eyes of the Lord to be on you. I want to finish with this uh, quote from John Piper. If the band could be ready, we're going to have time to sing a final song. So if the band could be ready. This is what uh, John Piper, who's a great author and uh, preacher in the States, he says this. Husbands, take into account. Keep this knowledge in your focus. You carry as a Christian husband, the responsibility and the burden of having the superior strength for the sake of protecting and providing for and leading your wife through the threats and challenges of life. All the while realising, listen to this, all the while realising that at your side is a fellow heir of God, a breathtakingly glorious human being who will shine like the sun in the kingdom of her father and who will not be married to you in the age to come, because there's no marriage in the age to come, but who will stand before the King of Kings as his bright and glorious subject. So, he finishes, mingle your caring, protecting, leading strength with a sense of wonder and awe that you get to live temporarily with an heiress of God. It's good, isn't it? (laughs) Should we stand together? We need God's help in this. We're going to pray and we're going to rejoice in this Jesus who we read about in Philippians chapter 2, did not grasp a hold of his equality with God. We're going to read it. Paul says this in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, so think about marriages here, think about relationships beyond marriage here, 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our example He's the example for wives. He's the example for husbands. He's the example for believers in the way we are to relate to one another. So we look to him together. We're going to celebrate him together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your son Jesus is the radiance of your glory and that he's the exact representation of you. And he, co-equal with you, stepped into our world. And he did not grasp onto the immense power that was his. He instead humbled himself and became like a servant and ultimately laid his life down on the cross for us that we might know forgiveness of our sins. And Lord Jesus, we look to you now and we say, Lord Jesus, help us to follow in your ways. Help us to, in our marriages, in our friendships, help us to follow in your ways, Lord Jesus. I pray for where there's uh, folks here who have got this wrong. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. Lord, where there's struggles, would you come and bring healing and wholeness? Lord, would you come and bring freedom where there's people feeling a sense of we're stuck? Lord God, come and move in hearts, even as we sing now. In Jesus' name. And God's people together said, Amen. Amen. As we sing this song, there may be some of you who need to give your life to Jesus. You might not know all the answers yet. That doesn't matter. You just need to know He loves you. He laid His life down for you. And He wants you to walk with Him and trust in Him. So why don't you, even as we sing, why don't you put it in your own words to Him? Say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust in what you've done for me on the cross. I want to live for you. Take away my sin. Give me newness of life. Just say that to him. Put it in your own words. And please tell someone today. Tell someone that you've done that. Tell, some, tell me. Tell someone that you've seen on the stage today. Tell someone from the welcome team. Tell someone. And we would stand with you and walk with you in your next steps as a Christian. God bless you.